0: hey mike here i just wanted to let you know that you can listen to dark poutine early and ad free on amazon music included with prime
1: knock that fire down 19 copy captain let's move
0: Ho, ho, and welcome to Dark Poutine, episode 200, 200, I can't believe it, episode 200. I am Mike Brown, creator and host. With me across the table is my large elf, bigger than me, taller than I am. Okay. <laughs> Matthew, not, not large like fat large, just <laughs> taller. Ready. I think I weigh more than you, I don't know. But anyway... Matthew, welcome, Hello. Matthew. I am so glad that you're here.
1: Happy holidays, everybody.
0: Happy holidays, and also, what a long way we have come from episode 100 to here. There has been changes in personnel. There has been, personnel. yeah, there has been. <laughs> there's been a pandemic
1: since you started.
0: Sin, no, since the uh, since episode 100 between right. 100 and 200. Episode 100 took place uh, in 2019, Okay, right before this all started. Actually, it was December of 2019. Wow. So, yeah, very, very interesting how how things have changed over the last two years. Yeah,
1: and luckily people are still doing crimes.
0: (laughs) Well, we're covering a lot of crimes that happened previously. So we can have
1: more shows. Well, I don't... Keep up the crime, people.
0: No, I don't want that to happen.
1: (laughs) The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Patine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of CuriousCast, its affiliate, Global News, nor their parent company, Chorus
0: Entertainment. Dark poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Our content is often intense and some listeners may find it disturbing. We're not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We are ordinary Canadian schmucks chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your Santa hat, grab yourself an eggnog and a butter tart. It's time for Christmas poutine. It's time for some Christmas dark poutine. Ho, ho, ho. Whoa, that's very deep ho hoes. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> The story we are about to tell is a harrowing tale of child neglect that leaves a young boy badly scarred for life. In December of 1990, after being overlooked by his family who were on their way to Paris for a Christmas visit, Kevin McAllister is left on his own in the family's large Winnetka, Illinois home. There, the seven-year-old not only has to care for himself, but has to do his best to fend off two burglars attempting to break into the McAllister residence, leaving Kevin with lifelong issues due to the effects of post-traumatic stress and later problems with addiction. You are listening to Dark Poutine Episode 200, 2021 Holiday Special, Kevin McAllister and the Wet Bandits. Winnetka is a village in Cook County, Illinois, United States, located around 26 kilometers north of downtown Chicago. In 2019, the population was just over 12,000, In terms of household income, the village is one of the wealthiest places in the United States. Nearly 95% of Winnetka's residents are of white European heritage. As of the 2010 census, the median income for a household in the village was $207,955, and the median income for a family was over $250,000. There are a number of notable people who hail from Winnetka, Actor Bruce Dern attended New Trier High School, as did Charlton Heston, Rock Hudson, and Adam Baldwin of Full Metal Jacket fame. It's a picturesque community with numerous older large homes, some built as early as the 1850s. Many of the properties remind me very much of those you'd see in the Shaughnessy neighborhood on the west side of Vancouver. The stately two-story, 4,200-square-foot Georgian-style brick-and-wood mansion at 671 Lincoln Avenue was built in 1921. It sits on just over half an acre of beautifully landscaped property. It's a gorgeous home with six bedrooms and -and four-and-a-half bathrooms and a two-car garage. The inside, with all its original woodwork, is just as impressive as the home's exterior. The property was last sold for $1,585,000 in 2012 and currently has an estimated value of $1,943,800. It's a great buy if you're used at the Vancouver housing market, as that amount of money here might get you a teardown garden shed. The owners of the home in 1990 were Peter and Kate McAllister. They lived in the house with their five children. In order, they are Buzz, Megan, Linny, Jeff, and the youngest was named Kevin.
1: You know, I remember reading about this at the yeah. time, mm-hmm. and th- this really interesting fact that Kate McAllister's sister mm-hmm. is actually a singer-songwriter of some success. Oh, yeah, and um, the band the Cowboy Junkies actually did a cover of one of her songs. Okay, and what's the name of the song? And the song's name is "You Will Be Loved." Yes, is that the one? That's it. Oh, okay. And this singer-songwriter actually. Performed at John Candy's funeral.
0: Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's 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 like Canadian royalty right yep. there. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's kind of cool. Yeah. I found that interesting. The father, Peter McAllister, was born in Washington, D.C. in 1946. His dad was a police officer. Peter followed in his father's footsteps entering the academy himself and then was hired by the Chicago Police Department. After an uneventful career as a beat cop, he was promoted into the vice unit, where he worked as a detective. Catherine Kate Sharp was born in Toronto in March of 1954. Kate and Peter met when she was in town with some of her girlfriends to see Chicago and watch her favorite team, the Toronto Maple Leafs, who were playing the Blackhawks. The Leafs lost eight to one, but Kate didn't seem to care. Her seat had been beside the smooth-talking Peter McAllister. Peter was seven beers deep at the time, but Kate found him charming anyway. He was happy that his Hawks had won, especially as he had $1,000 riding on the game. They hit it off right away and Kate, who'd been working as a dental assistant in Toronto, was enamored with Peter. Especially after he picked her up in a Jaguar on her first visit to Chicago only a month after they'd first met. She was there specifically to see him. Two months after that, they were married. Never get impressed by
1: somebody's car, ladies and Especially gentlemen. Especially
0: if it's a Jag. I hear those things like our fix or repair daily kind of thing. I kind of like Jags, but I would never judge my date by by the car he drives. Yeah, it's really shallow.
1: In fact, if he had a, a like, good car, mm-hmm. I'd probably judge him negatively.
0: Oh, so if you went out with a guy like me and my Nissan Versa... Not negatively judging. No. I, it's a very economic and affordable No, whenever
1: car. I see somebody driving up a Lamborghini or something, mm-hmm. I always wonder what they're trying to make up for.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> or a big, big truck.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, those are kind of hot.
0: <sighs> oh, dear. How a police officer earned enough to buy the estate on Lincoln Avenue is still under much debate. Peter claimed he'd made some shrewd investments after inheriting a large amount from his maternal grandmother in his 20s. However, sources indicate that his mother's father worked in a factory and had drunk up all his money before dying of lung cancer from years of smoking Marlboro Reds. More likely is, although never proven, many believe Peter was a crooked cop and had been on the take for years. Kate had earned some money too, after Peter staked her in flipping a few properties, bought with his unexplained cash. She'd since gotten into the real estate business, but was considered a dirty dealer by some. As well as the ostentatious home, the amount of money Peter McAllister threw around publicly was astonishing. The trip the McAllisters and their extended family were gearing up for in December of 1990 is no exception. Peter had paid for 15 non-stop round-trip tickets from Chicago to Paris on an American Airlines jumbo jet. According to calculations made by Sideshow.com, the 11 regular tickets for the children in coach and four premium seats the adults in first class would have run more than $44,000 Canadian. Peter claimed that it was brother Rob McAllister, an investment banker in Paris, who'd funded the trip, but this later proved untrue. Mm,
1: something dodgy about these people's finances, Mike.
0: Yeah, it's not. It doesn't add up. No.
1: Have you seen a picture of their house in the... in the?
0: Yeah, I looked it up. It's, I. It's huge. It's massive. Yeah, I don't know about this guy and Kate either. Something, something's very fishy about them. It seems sort of too good to be true. It's like somebody, like they wrote their own backstory or somebody did it for them.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. I just don't understand how they have all of this.
0: I don't either. Anyway. There was snow on the ground in Winnetka on the night before the family was to leave. Even though they would not be there for the holiday, the McAllister's house and property were decorated with classy white Christmas lights. There was plenty of hustle and bustle in the McAllister home as everyone in the house full of people rushed about trying to get ready for the big trip. Six of the children in the home that night were cousins. One was Rob McAllister's eldest daughter returning home for Christmas from boarding school. The other five, Tracy, Rod, Sandra, Brooke, and Fuller, belonged to Peter's older brother, Frank, and his wife, Leslie, who were also there. A man claiming to be a police officer let himself into the home through the front door. After a few attempts, only got Peter's attention when a pizza delivery person showed up, as Peter shelled out more than $150 to this delivery driver, He ignored the cop and just walked away, frustrating the man. Finally, the officer caught Kate's ear. She told him that the whole house will be empty as the family would be in Paris over the holidays. Before turning to leave, the cop grinned, saying Kate needn't worry. The house would be in good hands. In fact, the officer was a notorious burglar, Harry Lime, one of the wet bandits, a duo who'd been stripping houses across the Chicago area of valuables for months and badly wanted by police. Lyme had been casing the house, and thanks to the family's chatter about their Paris trip, he had all he needed. He knew the mansion would be a perfect target.
1: What would you do if a police officer just walked into your front door?
0: I would ask him. Is there something I can help you with? Is is there anything wrong, officer? Do you need something? Would you be that polite? I would. Okay. Yeah. If
1: I was just sitting at home, so I walk in my friend, door, I wouldn't be overly polite.
0: Yeah, I guess. Like that's a big house, mm. and it, on a nice street. And all that kind of stuff. Yeah,
1: and I guess if if you have kids and everything, yeah. people come in. It's different. Like Justin and I live at home. Right. Right. And so if somebody did walked in, like we don't have like hundreds of people in our place, it would just it would be super weird, right?
0: Here in Surrey, if the RCMP walked into my house just randomly, they would have had to a come through the yeah the come through doors. the doors. Yeah. Like it would have been on purpose to okay. come into yeah. So this guy's casing the house, just
1: yeah. dressed as a police officer. Yeah. Exactly. Okay.
0: That night, as many before, was not an easy one for Kevin McAllister, an impish little guy with blue eyes and blonde hair and oddly better looking than all his siblings. His true parentage was in question. It was always assumed that Kevin had been fathered during his mother's affair with a local art dealer. This could explain why his parents spent most of their time irritated by the youngster or actively ignoring him. Following their parents' lead, Kevin's older siblings bullied him mercilessly, Kevin had so many belittling nicknames that he'd almost forgotten his own first name. They called him Little Jerk, Kid, Nosy Little Pervert, Trout Sniffer, Little Bundle of Misery, Sunny, and Little Sourpuss. What the hell is Trout Sniffer? I don't know, that's awful. They're bullying this poor kid. Yeah, like... Sure, some of them seem like innocent names, nicknames to be calling somebody, but... But they're all gagging up on them. Yeah, exactly. Like, I remember being a kid and people calling me Beaver Cleaver because mm-hmm. I had uh, buck teeth before I okay. got braces. And it was awful. It really bothered me. I would laugh it off. But finally, once in grade eight, I remember somebody said that to me and they were sitting on the book counter for whatever classroom. I think it was our homeroom. Mm-hmm. And he said, "Oh, hey Beaver, how you doing?" Mm-hmm. And I just lost it, and I punched him right off the right off the counter nice. where he was sitting. But interestingly,
1: never happened again.
0: Well, it never happened again with him. But that same at that same point, because now I'm crying. Mm-hmm. The other kids ganged up on me again. Oh, because look at what I did. You know, Aww. I you know I did a violent act in front of them. Yeah. I punched the guy. Yeah, and then I started to cry. So I remember. Oh, one of the kid. one of the girls in class actually saying, "What a pussy!" Oh, nice. Yeah, she and I are friends on Facebook today. I don't know if she remembers ever saying that.
1: Yeah, you hold on to things from when you're a little kid. We all do, mm-hmm. right? Like these little moments where the other person and you've made the person into to be, you know, not. I'm not saying this situation. Sure, but, but you know, I I recently saw a photograph of somebody that I hadn't heard of or thought of, yeah, since like 1976, right. And I realized, like, he was six, I was six. Yep. Like, we're just kids, and I've held this, like, weird grudge. But, like, adulthood has gone by, and we're getting to be older guys, and it's like, like... We were kids. It doesn't, that stuff doesn't matter, but you oddly hold on to this. And thinking about this poor Kevin McAllister, yeah. all these things that are happening to him, imagine
0: how much he he's holding on to this stuff, for his adult life. A hundred percent. It traumatized him. I had another recent experience like that exact same one that you were just mentioning. This guy who I haven't really thought of. We're friends on Facebook again, because a lot of people from back home, we just friended each other when Facebook came out, but we don't chat. Yeah. This guy's dog died. Oh. But the thing is, when we were kids, we were in the bathroom of the elementary school. So 10, 11, 12, maybe mm-hmm. 11, probably. And this guy bullied me in the bathroom. I remember him like pushing me around and just being a total dink to me mm-hmm. in the bathroom. And when I saw his dog died, he wrote this post from the perspective of a feeling, thinking, human being with compassion because he's not 11 anymore and love yeah exactly (laughs) he wrote this really loving post and it was just like part of me wanted to say boy you've really changed since we were 11 and you beat me up in the bathroom but he probably doesn't even remember he probably doesn't remember it but yeah that was a really weird thing to have happen and realize he was 11 You know, like...
1: And just think of the things that you don't even remember. The cruelty that you might have dished out to people. Oh, fully. That you don't even remember. Fully. Because it could have been an off comment or just you thought you were having fun. And, you know, with time, it just disappears. Yep. A hundred percent. Yeah.
0: Upstairs, Kevin was having trouble packing his suitcase that night. And no one seemed to care enough to help. Even though he'd begged for it. His older siblings, Jeff, Megan, and Lenny, belittled him as helpless. One of them coldly said... You're what the French call les incompetents. It was his oldest brother, Buzz, who had turned on Kevin that evening. Buzz was more than twice the size of Kevin, looking every inch the bully. Buzz was stocky and muscular, a jock with a three-inch waxed flat top. He was known to be sadistic and took his pleasure in the brutal torture of his younger brother with a perpetual grin on his big, dumb face. Buzz just didn't care about much of anything other than himself. His pet tarantula was pretty much it. That night, Cousin Rob asked who was going to take care of the spider when the family was out of town. Buzz was overheard saying that the spider, quote, just ate a shitload of mice guts. He's good for a couple of weeks. Buzz's calculations were off. The spider would be found dead on the family's return from Paris. Buzz had shrugged upon the discovery and unceremoniously flushed the spider down the toilet. Hmm... His name is Buzz, with a buzz cut, and know? he has a flat top. Yeah, That's so nineteen fifties. But I mean, I don't know why he would have a flat top. I mean, maybe he wanted to look, as I've mentioned, every inch the bully. Yeah, maybe you know. So it's like maybe he reveled in that role so much that he thought, yeah, I'll d- I'll have a buzz cut. And I remember those kind of haircuts were kind of popular in the nineteen nineties, like early late eighties and early nineties again.
1: So maybe from where you were,
0: yeah, could have been.
1: Did you ever have a pet spider?
0: I did not ever have a pet spider. I had a rat. You had a rat. Mm, his name was Evo. Ivo. We had a mouse uh, named Snowflake or Snowball. I can't remember. It was my sister's. And then we had a a a, a hamster named Cinnamon, and I've mentioned him before. We oh. found him dead. But anyway, so
1: Buzz Flat Top Tranchula.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, a bit of a cliche. Yeah. After the pizza arrived, Buzz, knowing that Kevin only ate plain cheese pizza, grabbed the entire cheese pie and wolfed it down in front of him. Kevin kicked up a stink, and a physical fight ensued between he and Buzz, who easily bested the smaller boy. Kevin, as usual, was blamed for the entire fracas. Kate felt that Kevin had already been enough trouble that night. She was sick of dealing with him and banished him to the third floor attic room where he was told he'd spend the night alone. This was not the first time this had happened. At one point the summer before, Kevin was sent to the attic and forgotten for three days. He was later discovered dehydrated and hungry by his sister who'd gone up there for camping gear. It was at the point of his banishment that night that Kevin said to himself, ''I wish they would all just disappear.'' Peter, frustrated with Kevin, distracted by the rest of the family and not paying much attention to what he was doing, began to clean up the mess, made while Buzz and Kevin had fought. Somehow, Peter swept up Kevin's plane ticket and passport and threw it away in some trash. The family retired for the night, but while they slept, a freak storm knocked out the power to their home, as well as the phone lines in the neighborhood. As these were the days before cell phones, all the family's alarm clocks were connected to the home's power and put out a commission. When they all woke, the family realized that they had to get to the airport quickly or risk missing their flight to Europe. There was lots of confusion as the McAllister's all rushed about, getting dressed and loading things into a van. A neighbor, Mitch Murphy, came over to say goodbye to the family, and as they rushed out the door, cousin Heather was responsible for the headcount, mistaking the neighbor for Kevin. As the McAllister's rushed to the airport, they had no clue that they'd left Kevin behind still sleeping in the attic. The family made it to the Chicago O'Hare airport with moments to spare and piled onto the plane. The distraction of the rush and the fact that Kevin's passport and plane ticket were not present was not apparent to Peter and Kate, nor his siblings. There was the corresponding number of passports and tickets to bodies, so no flags went up at that point. It's unclear why the missing seven-year-old was not flagged by the airline employees responsible for the headcount after Kevin's seat went unoccupied. Nor is it clear why the siblings did not immediately point out Kevin's absence. It's been surmised that the older kids realized, while in the van, but chose to say nothing, relieved that their pest of a little brother was not along to bother them. The plane flew off, bound for Paris, minus one small passenger, It was not until much later into the flight out over the Atlantic that Kate realized that Kevin had not been with them. But by then, it was too late. Seven-year-old Kevin McAllister was home alone. And we'll take a break right here. And we're back. Now, I have some real problems with this one. They're on a plane out over the Atlantic and they realize that young Kevin isn't with them. You would think that the reaction to a missing seven-year-old would be much stronger than it actually was. Why didn't she just run to the front of the plane and have conversations with the flight attendants or the the pilots of the plane mm. demanding that they contact the ground to get in touch with authorities to mm. take care of the seven-year-old boy what kind of person is she well
1: you yeah, know, i'm not saying that they left him behind intentionally here mm-hmm. but
0: yeah. i am kind of saying that this looks some
1: kind of like bad parenting
0: i would say that there is some really neglectful parenting going on like how could you leave your kid right and like all
1: the way All the way there, and not until you're like mid-flight do you realize that he's not with you.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It's a really, it's really irresponsible. I mean, I had a friend once that, like, she had a new kid, and she forgot the kid in the supermarket.
1: Yeah. Like, just for a minute, like, walked out and realized she'd left the stroller because it was a new baby. Right. And she wasn't used to having to carry a
0: baby around. That happens a lot. That happens apparently. a lot. Apparently,
1: uh, that happens a ton. You know, I was in a cafe yesterday, mm-hmm. and I left. And you know, when you like think you've forgotten something, and you panic, yeah. and it's because I didn't bring Steve with me, uh. and I suddenly was like, "What am I forgetting? What am I forgetting?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, I didn't bring him with me." Yeah, but in the opposite can happen. Like if you have a like, I heard it happens. Like Steve sitting there, people people accidentally leave their kids, but like you know, for a couple minutes, and then you, like, remember in the supermarket or whatever, but, you know, all the way to the airport, boarding, everything else, like, that's just really bad parenting.
0: Yeah, it is. When Kevin woke up the next morning, he went downstairs and found the house empty. It was quiet, and he couldn't find anyone in any of the rooms. At first, he thought it was a cruel prank that his family were all hiding from him. He wouldn't have put it past them but realizing that he might have been left on his own, he became nervous and afraid at first. Going into the basement, thinking the family might be there, the furnace came on and made a noise that scared the youngster back up the stairs. It didn't take Kevin long to realize that this is what he'd wished for the night before, so the youngster began to celebrate. Perhaps God had taken pity on him and his family truly had disappeared. He felt as though he were free from the torture that had been perpetrated against him throughout his short life. He couldn't believe his luck. Kevin played in rooms throughout the house he'd typically been chased from when the rest of the family was around. Big Brother Buzz's room was a goldmine of goodies from which Kevin obtained firecrackers, a Playboy magazine, candy, and a BB gun he plinked around with intermittently inside the house. He wreaked havoc in Buzz's room, firing some of his Big Brother's most prized possessions down the laundry chute. Kevin jumped on evil sister Megan's bed and then used his dad's favorite chair eating all the ice cream he could while watching a mobster movie, something he was not allowed to do otherwise. He did every fun thing he ever wanted to do in the house, feeling freedom from his evil family at last. I remember uh, I was a camp counselor and my kids were between seven and eight years old. Mm -hmm. And some of them were terrified to go to the bathroom alone. At night, because we're sleeping in a cabin, you have to go to an outhouse that's behind the cabin quite a distance. The Kaibo. Did you call it the Kaibo? No, we just called it the
1: outhouse. I was a camp counselor too, we call it the Kaibo.
0: And you know, like those kids, it was the first time that some of them were away from their parents for any extended period of time. So I had to comfort people in the middle of the night. You know, take take a youngster out for hot chocolate at the... uh, Yeah, I mean, so... You're
1: probably reading news stories where he said he was having fun, mm-hmm. but because we don't really know. But I think in reality, he was probably a little bit scared as well.
0: Sure. And uh, we do mention that he was a little afraid.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, because his memoirs later indicate that. Mm. I don't know what his state of mind was like at the time, but I know when I was seven, I would have been terrified. I was scared of mummies when I was seven. You know, I was terrified of a spooky noise in my house and my parents were home. You know, <laughs> I would go sleep in between them in bed. Yeah. If I was home alone,
1: I just, I wouldn't go into the basement.
0: Oh no. The basement is awful. The basement was scary. The basement, uh, before dad put a little shelf under the basement stairs, before that they were just kind of open mm-hmm. and I was always terrified walking Some down the basement. hands going to grab? Yeah, that something was going to grab me.
1: Me too. I used to run up fast, but eventually my parents put a little bowling alley downstairs for my brother and I. What? Just, like, just two-by-fours and stuff. Well, that's cool. But good enough, and my brother and I used to bowl down in the basement. I had
0: a pool table when I was a teenager. Let's Needless see. to say, I was popular.
1: See, that's just that's asking for trouble. Yeah.
0: Well, there was a lot of trouble.
1: Bowling is wholesome.
0: Kevin's fun was to be short-lived. As the day turned to night, Harry Lyme, the weasley little man who'd been posing as a police officer earlier, and his goofy looking partner, Marvin Marv Merchants, drove into the neighborhood in their crappy van. They had a lot of work ahead of them with the five houses to burgle while the homeowners were away on vacation over the holidays. The house at 671 Lincoln Avenue was a particularly enticing prize. Marv later rolled over on Harry in a plea bargain and recounted their conversation as they pulled up and eyed the McAllisters home. Marv claimed the conversation went as follows. Harry said, ''That's the one, Marvin. That's the silver tuna.'' Marv replied, ''It's very G.'' Harry then stated, ''It's loaded. Lots of top-flight goods, antiques, collectibles, objects to art. Lots of kids means lots of stereos, VCRs, TVs. We're probably looking at some nice jewelry, possibly cash hoard, and the odd marketable security.'' Who knows? It's a gem. To which Marvin said, Well, probably need a day and night in there to clean it out. Harry simply replied, Grab the crowbar. As the pair got out of the van and approached the large home. Kevin, who'd fallen asleep watching the Grinch on TV, heard a noise outside the home, not yet aware of the danger posed by the bandits about to make entry. Kevin turned on the kitchen light, which scared Lyman merchants who fled, thinking the adults were still in the house. What a strike of luck. Right? Like, holy smokes, what could have gone on? Mm. Like, this this kid surprised by these two grown men mm. in his home. Like, what is he going to do? Yeah. You know? In the meantime, the McAllister's plane had landed at Charles de Gaulle Airport in Paris. Kate began fruitless attempts to make phone calls to neighbors and to the McAllister home itself. The phones were still out due to the recent storm, so she couldn't get through. It's not clear why Kate and Peter didn't kick up more of a fuss on the plane, demanding the pilots get a hold of authorities back home. Kate finally called the police a full 12 hours after their departure. The police dispatcher seemed confused and oddly unconcerned Kate, who was asking them to go check on Kevin. I don't get it. Like, the pilots, the airlines... All of these people don't seem really concerned about this kid at all.
1: It's like a comedy of errors, except it's not funny. Right? If you're a police dispatcher and somebody's Mm -hmm. like, I've left my seven-year-old alone by accident. We're in Europe and nobody is with him. Yeah. Please help.
0: Kate and Peter, both feeling mildly concerned about Kevin, half-heartedly attempted to book an early return flight for the next day. Later media portrayals show Kate and Peter as much more distraught than they actually were. Kate's feeling was more one of irritation that Kevin had once again spoiled what was supposed to be a relaxing getaway for her. Peter was thinking about betting on the upcoming Rose Bowl and how much his team would need to beat the spread. An officer was sent by to check if everything was okay at the McAllister residence, knocking lamely on the door. Kevin was too afraid to answer hiding under the bed covers, so the cop just turned on his heel and left. Low effort. What? What? So, okay, you're looking for a missing seven-year-old.
1: Well, okay. You knock on the door. It's, it's, we left him home alone. Right. If you go there, right, and there's no answer, then you have to, as a police officer, you have to start worrying that, eight something's happened, maybe he's got hurt inside, or he's been kidnapped or something. He should have been busting the door down to, f- to figure out what...
0: Call for the... backup, like yeah. get the SWAT team, something. Yeah. Like, I don't understand how nonchalant everybody no, was about this child being left home alone. Poor kid.
1: Right? Like, God, people. This is going to scar him for life.
0: It, ha- it did. Kevin fell asleep. And although he was frightened being on his own, he woke only a few times through the night. The next morning, Kevin woke and decided to shower, like he'd seen his dad do. He was often just tossed into a tub and scrubbed raw when he'd become too dirty. This was a novel thing for him. In his later memoirs, he wrote about having a chat with himself while looking in the mirror. He said, I took a shower, washing every body part with actual soap, including all my major crevices, including between my toes and my belly button, which I never did before, but sort of enjoyed. I washed my hair with an adult formula shampoo, and I used cream rinse for the just-washed shine. I can't find my toothbrush, so I'll pick one up when I go out today. Other than that, I'm in good shape. End quote. With that, Kevin splashed on some of his father's aftershave, which burned his skin so badly he had to clutch at his face and scream. I feel so bad for this kid. Yeah. He's just trying to do his thing. Yeah. And uh, he he was not only on his own. Mm. when people weren't there but even when people were there he was on his own he was you know he was just he's a lonely soul right just ignored beat up i can relate left on his own beat
1: up but i was well uh, yeah always felt a little bit alone
0: Well, I think we all have moments of that, Yeah, but he is like an extreme example of that for sure. He's sort of
1: like this whirlwind of this family. Just, he's sort of lost in the shuffle.
0: He's just lost in the shuffle. And unimportant he must feel. Mm. And you know, like when you're a kid, I don't know. Mm. Kevin stole some money from Buzz's room and went out to buy a toothbrush, noticing that someone was in the Murphy's home as he passed. Thinking nothing more of it, Kevin walked on, but inside, Harry and Marv were picking the place clean. Kevin stole the toothbrush from the pharmacy, committing the first crime in his life. He later spoke of the exhilaration he felt as he ran from the store, the clerk yelling behind him, Shoplifter!
1: There's a turning point. Yep, yep.
0: His life's going to go
1: downhill from that.
0: Yeah, one minute you're shoplifting a toothbrush at seven years old because your parents have left you home alone. The next minute, you're robbing armored cars Mm. of millions of dollars and shooting guards. It's crazy. It's interesting to see how, you know, the beginning of someone's downfall like that.
1: I'm interested for you to talk about the downfall.
0: Fleeing home, a newly minted criminal, Kevin was nearly run down by Marv and Harry as their van loaded with stolen goods pulled onto the street out of the Murphy's driveway. They'd flooded the place before leaving which was their calling card and had earned them their nickname, the Wet Bandits. Kevin claimed later that he'd recognized Harry as the man in the police uniform who'd been in the house a couple of nights earlier. Marv backed this up in his later testimony, saying Harry commented, quote, I don't like the way that kid looked at me. Harry followed Kevin in their van. Unknown to them, Kevin had since realized that these were bad guys. And Kevin gave them the slip. The next day, Peter and Kate were still lazily trying to get a flight back to the States while the crooks robbed and flooded the house next door. So this is why they were called the Wet Bandits. Okay. So these guys were assholes. Not only did they steal everything, they just destroyed the house. Yeah. With, uh, with flooding it. What a terrible thing to do. Totally unnecessary. Yeah. Like, come on. That's just vengeful. That evening, the wet bandits decided to break into the McAllister's home. In the film adaptation of the events, the criminals are seen as bunglers, taking pratfalls and being foiled by traps a seven-year-old had set for them. This is pretty much how it actually was, as over the next few hours, a resourceful young Kevin held Lyman merchants at bay leaving them both seriously injured and requiring months of hospitalization afterward.
1: So let me ask you a question here, Mike, Mm -hmm. because you are the, uh, the oracle. I don't know about that. Of all things crime related.
0: Yeah, sure.
1: Well, in my life you are anyway. Yeah. So there was a case in the UK where a farmer shot an intruder Mm -hmm. and there was a big brouhaha about, um, what like he was originally charged, et cetera. And a big discussion about the use of excessive force when you're protecting your own home. Yeah. So would this kid have been maybe charged with excessive force?
0: There was a case actually here in Canada, very similar to the one you're referring to from the UK. So in Saskatchewan in 2016, a farmer named Gerald Stanley who claimed to be in fear for his life during an encounter with some drunken young people on his property, fatally shot a 22-year-old indigenous man named Colton Bushy. Stanley stood trial for a second-degree murder and for a lesser charge of manslaughter, but he was acquitted in February of 2018. According to the Wikipedia article on those events, the circumstances of that shooting The RCMP investigation, the trial, and the verdict are flashpoints of controversy here in Canada. There has been a lot. There has been a lot of talk around this. The case drew significant attention, sparking protests, provoking debates about racism in Saskatchewan and across Canada. Now, people who supported Stanley generally perceived the trial as fair, given the circumstances of the events leading up to the shooting. Supporters of the Bushy family felt the trial was unfair due to the selection of what appeared to be an all-white jury. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and Minister of Justice, Indigenous person, Jody Wilson-Raybould, denounced the verdict. Critics scorned these comments for politicizing the trial and discrediting the Canadian judiciary system. The mayor of Saskatoon... Charlie Clark said the trial and its aftermath represented a defining moment for this community and this country. It's super interesting. So look into that if you're interested in this particular kind of thing. But as far as this case goes, I don't know if Kevin would have ever been charged with anything like that. I mean, these were two grown men who were trying to break into his home and Kevin was just a kid. He's a minor. Yeah, later on it's mentioned that these two had... Even more violent intentions. Okay. But we'll get into that. So I think, in this case at least, I think it's an example of clear-cut self-defense. Kevin McAllister would never have been charged with anything. I mean, I don't think they're going to charge a seven-year-old regardless. Okay. According to an article on Thrillist.com, that site employed a doctor to speak about the injuries sustained by Harry and Marv during their attempted burglary of the McAllister home. Kevin shot them with Buzz's BB gun multiple times, first through the doggy door as they tried to pry the front door open to the home. Marv was shot in the forehead, causing a mild head laceration. Harry was shot in the left testicle. The injury was severe enough to later require the removal of the organ. When the men finally got into the house, Kevin pulled out all the stops. I'm not sure how Harry was still moving after that point. Marv obtained a minor skull fracture concussion, and facial laceration after Kevin hit him with with a clothes iron. After which, Marv stumbled into a trap of industrial-strength tar, where his shoes became stuck and later impaled his bare foot on a rusty nail. Luckily for the bad guy, his tetanus shots were up to date. Kevin also later used the same tar to tar and feather Harry Lime. Uh, Throughout the night, the bad guys slipped and fell down the stairs of the home multiple times, bruising themselves terribly, and minor fractures occurred. Kevin threw Buzz's tarantula at Marv, who, frightened, brushed at it, and it landed on Harry's chest. After which, Marv swung the crowbar hard into Harry's chest, fracturing three of his partner's ribs with the blow. But it was the adrenaline that kept Harry moving for the rest of the night as they were intent on dealing with Kevin. Kevin later found the arachnid alive and placed the spider back carefully into its little cage, but we know what happened after that. At one point, Kevin's memoirs claim that Harry and Marv were smashed in the face with paint cans swung by the boy who had attached the cans to the ceiling with rope. Had this actually happened, the doctor who spoke with Thrillist.com said the injuries to the bad guys would have been catastrophic. It appears this might have been an embellishment on Kevin's part and was later portrayed as written in a Hollywood film. The doctor gave his diagnosis as follows, Another concussion is definitely, probably causing serious long-term neurological damage at this point. Blunt force trauma to the head, broken nose, fractured skull, all possible. Epidural hematoma is a distinct concern at this point. This would knock out more than one tooth. Major dental work would be needed. Would need a few visits to oral maxiofascial surgeon. Hope they have good insurance with good coverage and low deductibles, but being professional criminals, they probably do not. I can only assume this blow would knock them out cold, especially after all the other brain damage throughout the night. In reality, it was Harry who took a nearly empty paint can off the noggin as thrown by the seven-year-old defending his home. The blowtorch to the head is also more Hollywood than reality. Rather than Harry actually having his head set on fire, as one will see in later adaptations, at one point, Kevin simply threw the blowtorch down onto Harry's skull as he advanced up the stairs toward the child. It did knock him back momentarily, giving him a nasty goose egg on the top of his scalp.
1: Well, they do kind of deserve it, don't they?
0: Yeah, like, these guys are... They're asking for trouble. They are really asking for trouble.
1: This kid's quite some... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for?
0: I used the word resourceful. Yeah. Yeah. Very resourceful. Very creative. Creative. Like, he's a really creative Creative little guy. Creative in the way
1: that he can fight these guys off.
0: Yeah. After barricading himself in the attic, using all sorts of the heavy junk he could find to keep the bandits out, Kevin began screaming out the window for help. Kevin, finally, was overheard by a neighbor who ran to a payphone and called the cops police arrived and after a brief standoff took Harry and Marv into custody. Marv later admitted that he wanted to shoot Kevin McAllister but Harry had more personal plans for the boy wanting to strangle him. It took some coaxing for the police officers to get Kevin to agree to come out of the attic where he'd been hiding. A social worker was brought in to assess the child and determine what if any injuries the boy had suffered. Short of a couple bruises Kevin was physically unharmed psychologically he was very badly injured little kevin's formative years are occurring here and so he's got to be horribly
1: ptsd'd
0: yeah traumatized and all those things and this later led to kevin's drug use and he became well i talk about it a little bit in his later years what happened with Mm. him but he really took a turn for the worst um you know and and it, it really did not look good for him for a while, obviously. But we'll get into more of that okay. later. Kate and Peter arrived home that morning to a house full of police and pretended to be mildly happy that Kevin was unharmed, although the state of the house was another matter and required $25,000 worth of repairs. Things just went back to normal for the McAllisters after that. Until only a year later, Kevin became lost in New York City after yet another family misstep. Contrary to film portrayal of those events, the wet bandits, Harry Lyman, Marv Merchants were not actually involved. Mm. I
1: read an article about this, Mike. Mm-hmm. I could not believe that he was left by himself again. Yeah. Defend for himself. And I read this article where long before Mr. Donald Trump was running for office, yep. this kid had run into him asking for help and he wouldn't help him.
0: Actually, Trump's photographer took pictures of that. So you can find photos of it. And I don't
1: understand why that was never brought up during the presidential elections and the debates. Like you, you you don't even truly help a kid lost. What are you going to do as president? Right? Yeah. Yeah, Right. Quite interesting.
0: Um, It is really, really sort of bad news. If, you know, you're a billionaire, and some little kid comes up and asks you for help, and you just sort of blow him off, I give him directions or something. Or right? It's terrible. Like what, like, what kind of person are you? Hey, awful. Merchants and Lime both face multiple charges of felony burglary, destruction of property, assault, and endangerment of a minor. Marv was sentenced to 32 years after his plea deal, while Harry incurred a whopping 84 year sentence. A prison pal of Harry Lime's later told tabloid news organization that his one dream was escaping, so he could finally get that little nipper and deal with Kevin McAllister once and for all. Kate divorced Peter after he lost the family home and pretty much everything else, betting on sports as well as horse and dog races. Wanting to start anew, Peter left the Chicago Police Department and joined the North Caldwell, New Jersey Police Department. Again, as a vice detective, Peter died by suicide drowning after a swan dive off the Donald Goodkind Bridge on New Jersey's Route 1 in February of 1999. At the time of his death, Peter was in massive debt, most of it owed to a local crime family. It was later revealed that that he'd taken part in numerous illegal activities on the request of the mobsters who'd had him under their thumbs. Upon learning of Peter McAllister's death, the head of the crime family that he owed so much money to shrugged and called Peter a degenerate gambler. This tale sounds as though it could be something in uh, a storyline. Like, like special. Or yeah, somewhere. exactly. Even a series, a long-run I'd watch HBO that. series. Yeah, me too. After divorcing Peter, Kate wanted nothing more to do with the family, cutting ties with all of them, including the children. She moved back to Canada, where she was an actress in a terrible soap opera then remarried a man named Johnny Rose a video store magnate later adopting his two children almost all of johnny's fortune was embezzled by his business manager kate was last seen with her new family in upstate new york living in two rooms and operating a run down motel the last of johnny's assets wow i mean
1: her life she really went down shit's creek didn't she yeah without a paddle
0: Yeah, Schitt's Creek for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. The McAllister children were dispersed among relatives, some with grandparents and others landed with uncles and aunts. Kevin ran away at 14 and joined the alternate party scene around New York's seedier parts. He became involved in drugs and alcohol. After he'd hit bottom in his late 20s, Kevin sought help, went to detox, and has been sober ever since. He has not seen his family after leaving home and says he feels it better to stay with his chosen family in recovery. I relate to that.
1: I I heard he was a real party monster there for a while. He
0: was a huge party monster. It was a massive thing. And, you know, uh, I've seen pictures of him from that time. Whoa, Mm -hmm. whoa, whoa. Looks really like he was out of it, (laughs) really out of it. But
1: I'm glad he cleaned himself up. I was always rooting for him
0: yeah me too and that folks is it for dark poutine episode 200 2021 holiday special kevin McAllister and the wet bandits that's right it's time for voicemails you can leave us a message at 1-877-327-5786 or 1-877-DARK-PTN. We'd love to hear from you. Let's see who called us this week. We have an extra co-host today. We do. And it is our mascot, Steve. Yes. The bulldog. He's lying here beside me licking his foot. Oh, yeah. Well, that's what he needs to do. Yep. Yeah. I mean, he slobbered. When he came through the door, he had slobber on his lips and hit me right in the face and, when he shook his and head. And
1: then you slipped in the puddle. We almost lost Mike, people. I, <laughs> Mike breaking his neck, slipping in Steve's oh, slobber. Well. It's very viscous-y, isn't it?
0: <laughs> it is viscous. Oh, <laughs> Anyway, so I asked for people to send us some messages and uh, some Christmas messages i asked for people to send us some christmas messages and y'all stepped up we have a ton of voicemails this week and pretty much all of them are short and sweet so it's perfect great yeah let's start up uh let's start out with one it looks like it might be from north carolina hi guys
1: hi mike hi matt Henrietta here from Albemarle, north carolina just calling to wish you Frohe Weihnachten and scheiß nicht den neuen Hut während der Festlichkeiten.
0: That doesn't sound like an accent that you would hear from North Carolina, number one. No. And I think it is either Dutch or German. I think it's German. You think it's German? Maybe.
1: Yeah. And I think she sang Go Shit in her hat.
0: I think she said Merry Christmas at first. Which is awesome. Yeah, but then That's so I, cool. I don't... If Henriette, actually, if you wish to, please let us know what you said on uh, <laughs> in the yard but that's really funny. And
1: have a great Christmas in North Carolina.
0: Yeah, right. Is North Carolina warm
1: this time of year?
0: I don't know if it is or not. Okay, I hope so. I hope I hope, I hope for everybody, everybody's warm and lovely. I hope everybody's warm and lovely wherever they are. Yeah, and if you're not, uh, virtual hugs from us and from Slobbery Steve, who's laying on my blanket, <laughs> my buffalo plaid blanket. <laughs> and uh, here is another voicemail. Let's have a listen.
1: Hi there. This is Carmen from West Kelowna with my daughter, Eloin, who you may hear in the background. I started
0: listening during episode 79, which was the missing case of Jody Hendrickson. Uh, my parents live on Bowen Island and my cousins knew her. And I remember all the search parties for her And your podcast is
1: actually posted on the local Facebook page, which is how I found you. Anyways, I've been hooked ever since, and I've listened to all the episodes from the beginning up until now. Um, My daughter's even soothed by your voice, Mike, as she heard you in utero, and she still hears it now when I listen to the podcast. I wanted to wish happy holidays to both of you, to Steve, of course, and all of your loved ones. I hope you both get a chance to grab an eggnog, a shortbread cookie, and take a poop in your toque. I hope santa spoils you and thank you for all your hard work and storytelling bye
0: Oh, i hear the the baby in the back that's doing nursing <laughs>
1: babies in the back over there dogs in the back over here yeah <laughs> thank v- you for the call
0: yeah we're really glad that we can kind of have a laid-back sort of christmas voicemail-y yeah. experience yeah so in Kelowna, that's where my friend alan lives i love Kelowna. yeah colonna's great and I think we should have a meetup in the interior at some point again. Maybe Matthew, I can drag in the you. Summertime. Up there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely not now. We can't get there now by road. We'd have to fly. But anyway.
1: Yeah, we'll do it in the summertime and spend some time on the on the lake.
0: Yeah. Well that's where uh my Over. friend Alan has his bed and breakfast and oh, it's called the Eagle's Nest. Oh, is so it? It is. My place is called the Eagle's Nest. Yes. And we can
1: check, we can like watch for Ogopogo while we're there. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Steve is here panting insanely yeah, at Matthew's he, feet. Because he's licking his feet.
1: He needs his injection. So what's going on with his feet that These he little needs? Little yeasty infections between Oh, he's got the beastie yeasties. The beastie yeasties, and he's due for his little injection.
0: Aw. Uh-huh. Yeah. So our next voicemail looks as though it comes from a listener in Red Deer, Alberta, Red Deer. Red Deer. I like all those names on the prairies. Moose Jaw. Yeah, all that stuff is kind of fun. Let's have a listen.
1: Hi, I'm a long-time listener, first-time caller. I'm Sarah
0: from Red Deer, Alberta. And I just wanted to wish everyone a very happy and safe holidays and a great New Year as well to all the good eggs out there.
1: Um, Looking forward to the next episode. I absolutely love dark poutine. I've been listening for quite some time now and i hope you guys never quit
0: and also go shit in your hat well there you go (laughs) and
1: also go shit in your hat that's why i love that phrase
0: so much straight from red deer yeah (laughs) thank you sarah it is so fun i just love this time of year for this kind of stuff and should be and go hanky the christmas poo in your hat exactly (laughs) i'm so looking forward to getting on a plane and escaping british columbia for the first time in two years wow well actually if i think about it i haven't left since for a while 2018 wow oh no no i in 2019 i was i went to uh louisiana with that other guy okay But, but uh yeah
1: well, when, when all this COVID stuff's done, you and I are going to do some crime con somewhere.
0: Yeah, we'll do some of that stuff. At, we're looking at Las Vegas Crime Con. Vimo, in May, Las Vegas. In, in, end of April and May. And also, I'm just telling Matthew this now, we got uh, a message from uh, Fan Expo Vancouver, and it looks like they want us to come back. Okay. Well, they want you to come back. They've never met me. Well, you were
1: there. I was visiting you when you were there. Exactly. And it freaked me out. Why? Celebrities selling pictures of themselves for like 50 bucks. It's the saddest thing I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) Well, we won't be doing that. Didn't you save some money?
0: Didn't I save some money? Well, I
1: want to say that to the celebrities who are like hefting their way out of California to come up here to like sign pictures at $50 a pop. Oh,
0: come on. They're just having fun.
1: No, they're desperate. (laughs)
0: And that is judgment time from Matthew. (laughs) Judgment
1: day. Judgment day. Well, but come on. (laughs) And I'm going to pause. Like Christina Ricci, there's no reason why she should be sitting there
0: signing stuff. He's been in a lot of movies. Uh, Let's listen to our next voicemail. It might be from Kelowna again. I don't mind people calling from Kelowna so much. It's great. Hi,
1: Mike and Matthew. It's Corey calling from Kelowna. Just wanted to wish
0: you both as well as your spouses and your animals, a very Merry Christmas. Love being part of the Yumber Yard and listening to your podcast every week. Hope you and all the good aches out there have a great holiday. Take care.
1: Well, thank you so much. Thanks, Corey from Kelowna. Is yeah. the Kelowna contingency.
0: Kelowna contingent. Uh, yeah.
1: Contingent, not contingency.
0: Well, sure. <laughs> it is what it is. This caller might be from somewhere in the United States of America. America. Hello, friends. I'm Jessica calling from an undisclosed location. Just kidding. I'm currently in Nebraska, USA. I'd like to wish a happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, delightful Festivus, wonderful Winter Solstice, a lovely Kwanzaa, a splendid Yule, and as we celebrate in our home, a joyous candle night to everyone. I hope I haven't missed anybody. I'm sure I have, but I hope you have a wonderful whatever you are celebrating, even if it is just a quiet Monday to enjoy a little podcast time. I sincerely wish you all peace and happiness as you celebrate, and let's all have an awesome 2020. Okay, Jessica, uh, thank you so much, Thanks, Jessica. It sounds like she's got everybody covered. She didn't want to miss anybody. That's why I just say Happy Holidays because you never know what somebody is celebrating or if they're celebrating at all. I like to mix it up. I wonder if she's been into Minden, Nebraska. What's Minden? What's in Minden? Supposedly, it's like a, it,
1: it's a t- one of the towns in Nebraska that really puts on like a Christmas spectacular.
0: Oh, that sounds fun! Like, the actually. whole
1: downtown's all lit up and stuff.
0: Um, yeah. I'd love to go to Nebraska someday. Nebraska. I don't... I haven't had any cause to go to Nebraska at this point in my life. Neither the, have
1: I. That's why I want to go. Yeah. Uh,
0: it's it's just like... Um, I don't know. I'd like to check it out because
1: it's it's not like, hey, LA or New York. It's Nebraska.
0: Yeah. I'd like to tour different parts of the United States at some it's point. it's beautiful, the countryside of Nebraska. I've seen the northern states because when I drove across, I dipped into the states to drive because the speed limit in Montana at the time was pretty much unlimited, so (laughs) you could just go as fast as you like, which I did. Nice. And, uh, yeah, so, yeah, I'd like to see more of North America. You know, I
1: got a speeding ticket because of you.
0: You did? Yeah. When was that?
1: I was listening to... I was in Washington State. Oh. And was listening to the episode where the girl... Did the fake nine one one call?
0: Okay, yep.
1: And it was stressing me out, and so my foot was hitting the, the gas pedal, and I got pulled over. Well, and I got like a two hundred and fifty dollar ticket. American in oh. Canadian, that's like three thousand dollars.
0: One thing I've realized is the yeah, it's not really, but <laughs> one thing I realized is that the American stadies love to pull over Canadians. Do they? Oh yeah, well, yeah, because if we're causing trouble there and. <laughs> You know, those pesky Canadians. Yeah. Slow down (laughs) while you're driving through our country, buddy. (laughs) Anyway. So thank you so much. Let's go to Nebraska. Eat some corn. Is there corn in Nebraska? a lot of it, apparently. I think our next caller is somebody who is definitely another Yumber Yarder. Let's have a listen. (laughs) Hello, Mike and Matthew. That always catches me off guard that go take a
1: shit in your hat. Anyway, to all the good eggs out there in the Yumber Yard, this is Laurie St. Germain calling from Nepean, Ontario, or Ottawa. And I'm wishing you all great joy, happiness, safe
0: travel, and good health as we slam the door on 2021. There are brighter days ahead, people. Let's (laughs) ring them in joyfully. Happy, happy holidays to you all. Bye for now. Well, thank you, Laurie. That's great. Laurie Saint Germain, save votre monde. Now I know how to say Nepean because I have been mispronouncing it every time I've had to say it on the show. So, Nepean.
1: Is Laurie from the Saint Germain Elderflower Liqueur family? Well, she could be. You
0: know how beautiful that bottle is? Uh, No, I don't. It's really pretty. Oh, wow. Yeah. Very nice. There you go. Steve is wandering around the studio here doing some panting. Clickety-clack. (laughs) Clickety-clack and panting and all that kind of stuff. Let's listen to another voicemail. Hello, Mike and Matthew. I guess as the saying goes, long-time listener, first-time caller. This is Tyler from Alliston. I finally got caught up with all your episodes. Really, really enjoy the way you guys approach all the episodes and uh, give your own little take to it. Uh, I also recently just joined the Umbryard. Uh, so I notice for calling in for the Christmas special. And I'm just calling to wish you two and all the other good eggs out there a very Merry Christmas. And to all, go shit in your hat. Or as I think you should call it, a dark keen. All the best. <laughs> Take care. Now, where to put that Reba McIntyre Christmas album? Oh go. <laughs> oh. <laughs> a little dig at Matthew there.
1: Whaaat? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Aliston. <laughs> Uh, oh, too keen. We should. What's Steve up to? He's ripping apart. One oh no! Don't three. let him do that. Oh, That's homemade. <laughs> wow. So Steve, okay, set it, set to destroying some something of, that somebody made for it's me. Out of the way. It's, on, it's up on the shelf. <laughs> he never does that at home. That's funny. It's like, oh no! I'm gonna get this. Well, he's he, like, he, let's f up Mike's shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Ah well. Such is life. But I agree. We should call it a tuquine. A, a touquine. A yeah. Well, let's listen to another voicemail. Dark poutine. I wonder if there's a shortage on that this Christmas season. I hope not. Because I know there's going to be a shortage on turkeys. So I'm hoping there'll still be plenty of dark poutine and good eggs to enjoy <laughs> this holiday season. And to everyone listening and to Mike, have a merry, merry, happy holiday season. Well, thank you so much, Matthew's over there glaring at me, like, why didn't this guy wish me a happy holiday? It's fine. <laughs> you know now somebody is is looking at their, no, uh, no don't worry about their me. phone feeling terrible.:
1: Don't worry about me. Um, there will not be a shortage of dark poutine this holiday season. No, there no, will, there will never never be a shortage of dark.
0: Before. well there will be a shortage for a week because we're taking a week off it's not a shortage it's a break it's a break because we, d- <laughs> we need it we've earned it uh yeah but anyways <laughs> thank you so much that's... didn't say his name or where where he's calling from but that's cool it's okay you didn't say my name either no <laughs> <laughs> all right here's another one and this one is from somebody who i know very well mm-hmm. so yeah i met her yeah cool yeah you know
1: people Hello, Mike and Matthew. This is Julie from
0: Victoria, B.C. I just wanted to wish both of you a Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays, whichever you celebrate. And to all the good eggs out there, I wish the same. Happy Holidays or Merry Christmas or whatever festivities you celebrate. Uh, Hope everyone has a good good time, because you're all good eggs. Thank you. Bye. Well, there you go. That's my friend Julie R from the island hello Julie R from y- the island yeah she's she's a good egg she really is a good egg she uh came to our meetup when we were over there cool one time yeah I like Victoria yeah I do too I want to go back and do another meetup there we've got a lot of fans on Vancouver Island who are calling for us to please come over they want to meet you
1: I want to move there someday I love Victoria I would live there the plan was to retire in Kelowna till we saw forest fires in the summer and floods in the winter. Yeah. So, and Justin was like, it's kind of far away from, like, any
0: well, major airport. So, we're like, Victoria! Well, Vancouver, Victoria's just going to fall into the ocean if there's an earthquake. It'll just sort of sink. So...
1: Oh, nice. Julie, get out, get out Get now. out now. Get out while you can. Get out of the house. <laughs> the, the earthquake is coming from within the island.
0: Yes, exactly. All right. Let is Let's, uh... Let's listen to another one here. Here we go.
1: Hi, Mike and Matthews. My name's Christine. I'm calling from Regina, Saskatchewan, and I just wanted to say thank you both for the amazing podcast. I have been a listener for a good amount of time, I guess, and this is my first time calling in. Just wanted to say thank you guys for everything you do. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, all of that good stuff, and go shit in your hat. Bye.
0: Well, there you go. Thank you, Christina. Thank from you. From Regina. Must be getting chilly in Regina this time of year. I have only been to Regina once, and that's when I drove through. No, actually twice. I had to land there as an emergency landing one time. Me too. It's the emergency landing place. Yeah, we've talked about that. Yeah, we? yeah, the windscreen blew out of the yeah, plane with, I was in. With me, it was the guy in front of me having a major heart, heart attack. Okay. The guy in the seat in front of me was having a heart attack. He was... Uh, Brought onto the plane with a nurse. Uh, So he was unhealthy to begin with. They were flying to Toronto. Okay. So he could be with family. And he went into heart failure on the plane and they had to land quickly in Regina. Yeah, it was not pleasant. He was fine though. Oh, that's good. Just so everybody knows.
1: That's good. Maybe he just really wanted to stop in Regina to visit old family.
0: Could have been. Maybe he was visiting our our peeps. There you go. (laughs) And. uh, uh, next up, we have one from somebody who I am very familiar with. Here we go. Hey,
1: Dark Poutine listeners, all the good eggs out there. It's Morgan Knutson from Supernatural Circumstances. I hope you guys have an incredibly wonderful holiday and Merry Christmas if you celebrate it. Whatever you're celebrating this year, have an amazing holiday and a wonderful new year. We will see you on Supernatural Circumstances with more episodes in the coming year. Merry Christmas,
0: guys! Yeah, there you go. So Morgan
1: Knutson, I love saying her name, mm-hmm. and she just had a birthday.
0: Yes, she did. Thirty-eight.
1: Sure, she said so. Yeah, but I, I was gonna post this and I stopped, but I'm gonna say it. What? Entering your 40s is fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, she has a few years, but in your 40s, like Morgan's doing so much in her 30s. Yeah, right? she's busy doing so much. But in your, I found in my 40s, you like learned all this stuff from your 20s and 30s yeah and but you still have the energy and you just fly in your 40s so morgan don't don't be sad about reaching the end of the 30s The 40s are going to be great for well you. i'm flying in my 50s too so yeah yeah it's kind of funny i'm kind of hobbling but that's okay <laughs> matthew's limping <laughs> and morgan when you're when you're 50 it's it's over
0: <laughs> life ends at 50 oh boy Let's listen to another. Wow, there's a lot. And this one looks like it comes from really a long way away.
1: Happy holidays, lovely dark protein people from warm and sunny Fist in New Zealand. I'll be thinking of you all when I'm having my Christmas Day barbecue at the beach. Take care. Bye.
0: That's just mean. <laughs> <laughs> but so cool it's to have a caller from summertime. new zealand yeah it's
1: summertime in new zealand yeah she the her voice for a second i thought it was my friend georgia who lives in new zealand
0: oh yeah well there you go yeah but uh really funny i That's i love great. it i want to go to the southern hemisphere so badly i was on the phone with new zealand just last week what were you doing on the phone talking to georgia oh well there you go yeah uh,
1: yeah it's uh Thank you, our Antipodean friend. Um, wow. I hope you have a great summer and don't be dressing up as Santa Claus
0: because it's way too hot. It's way too hot to dress up as Santa Claus right now. And this will be the last voicemail for this episode. There have been 13 of them. Holy smokes. That's incredible. It is incredible. Let's have a listen.
1: Hello to all dark poutine listeners and podcasters, from Mike and Matthew. I'm just calling to wish you a happy holidays and a fabulous new year. I have been a listener for two years and, and I do enjoy the content. I'm calling from Winnipeg. My name is Debbie and I am a First Nation Indigenous, Indigenous nurse. Sorry. Um, yeah. Happy New Year again. Thanks. Bye-bye.
0: Well, there you go. That is so cool. Thank you, Debbie from the peg. From the peg. I, I do like Winnipeg i I Uh, like it has that small town it has a
1: charm i do i like it a lot yeah thanks debbie should debbie's a nurse
0: yeah that's what it sounded like big job big job yeah honestly especially over the past people are always
1: like they are heroes no they really are right yeah (laughs) it's true thank you for probably a very hectic year debbie yeah. Um thank you for everything you did for the folks Hectic in two in Winnipeg. years. Yeah. Two years.
0: Yeah. I can't believe. It. I'm so tired.
1: We hope we make your day a little bit easier to get through some
0: days. There you go. That's it for this week's voicemails. Again, you can leave us one at 877 327 5786 or 1877-DARKPTN. We'd love to hear from you even if it is just to say hi and to tell us to go shit in our hats. If you're stumped for what to chat with us about, a quick story is welcome. All right, it looks like Steve has finally calmed down and he's relaxing now. Shh, shh, don't wake the dog. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, let's move on to patrons and donut money donors. Patreon. First up, we have Haley Lachance, and I don't know where Haley is from. Matthew so we're on the planet she's from come by chance in Newfoundland in Newfoundland yeah well with the last name La Chance you would think yeah yeah
1: and there she's known as La Chance La Rapper
0: so she's a rapper like Chance the Rapper interesting (laughs) so she
1: she's a rapper in come by chance she's she raps by chance she raps by chance (laughs) yeah
0: Oh, dear. That's Sorry. really terrible. You've
1: probably had people tease you about your name all your life, and here I am doing it on international radio.
0: It's not radio. It's the <laughs> internet. I know. Could be radio. I don't it's know. the same thing, though, isn't it? Next up, from Whitehorse in the Yukon Territories, way up north, Monique Stone. Monique. Hello, Monique. Yeah. Um. Oh, Steve just farted. Oh, gross. Oh, it is really, really bad. <laughs> Sorry, sorry to sort of sorry, Mike. derail our Patreon shout out to Monique with a a Steve the Bulldog fart. Holy crap! <laughs> I feel like I'm gonna die. I think I have to light some incense or something as soon as we're done this particular. <laughs>
1: I wonder if Monique knows my friend Robert or Bob Postma, who's a photographer in Whitehorse.
0: Could Whitehorse yeah. isn't a, isn't a big town, yeah. so yeah. Thank you, Monique. Thank you, so Monique. Much. Yeah. that's. Uh, what does she do up there? Uh, this, other than wave away dog fart smells. She's
1: an assistant to Bob Robert Postma, photographer.
0: There you go. It's <laughs> making that shit up. <laughs> okay. Well, fine. Thanks, Monique. Thanks, Monique.
1: Oh, that smells nice. Reminds me of my teenage years.
0: Yeah, we're back and I've lit some... Incense because Steve's fart was like making me joke. My Steve eyes were watering. Is,
1: Steve is literally giving Mike the full Steve experience. Yeah. Licking the paw, slobbering, breathing heavily, farting.
0: Yeah. Uh, anyway. We want the Christmas episode to be the most family of all of them each year. So I brought so, my kid. So you brought, you brought your child, your <laughs> farty child. <laughs> Next, we have Ashley Barnes. And she is from Ottawa on Terrible. Ottawa. Ottawa. The nation's capital.
1: Ottawa. Ottawa.
0: And what does Ashley do there in Ottawa? I know she's not the prime minister because we have, we're have we aware of who that is. But what does she do? Is, is she involved in politics?
1: She's the minister of administrative
0: affairs. The, the minister of administrative affairs. Yeah. Well, there you go. There you go. That's probably a pretty good job. Yeah. What do you... She administers... Oh, okay. All right. (laughs) Well, there you go. That's awesome. I think people should do more administration of (laughs) administrative administrative affairs. Yeah, exactly. I mean, (laughs) it's an important thing. Next, we have our Donut Money donors, Heather Rajat. Heather, I don't know where Heather's from.
1: You don't know where Heather's from? No, I am. I am unsure of her whereabouts. She's from Santa's town in the North Pole.
0: Really? Yeah. Her postal code is H O H O H O. Yep. Yep. Because that is actually a postal code for Santa, and if you send a letter to Santa Claus, you get an answer.
1: What? Do, what do the
0: Americans do? Who cares? Nine zero two one zero. I don't know yet. No. They, Santa nine zero two. They get an They get an answer from another Canadian, Jason Priestley. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what
1: was Jason Priestley in? was he in he night? was in
0: 90210 was he yes
1: okay I've never seen it
0: what you've never seen I just know Beverly Hills 90210 yeah so I only whenever I, you
1: have to put a US postcode on an internet site yeah when they're like you know sometimes you have to do it you're not ordering anything they just want to know where you are yeah it's the only one I know I put 90210
0: all the time so do I I think that's (laughs) what yeah I think that's (laughs) what every Canadian does there is a way to do it with your uh, for your uh, credit card when you cross the border but I can't remember how that is right now but anyway she lives in Santa Town there you go yeah great that's really cool thanks Heather thanks Heather and what what does she do obviously living in Santa Town is she an elf?
1: No, she's a coal miner. <laughs> what? But they got to make money on the off season, dude.
0: Oh, I gotcha. And Santa needs to run his stuff. So he's not very, his carbon footprint is not good. Well,
1: and he has to leave coal for the bad kids. So she. Ah. Yeah. So oh, she, she gets the coal for the little naughty ones. Yeah. Yep. Well, she's not a coal miner's daughter.
0: She's, I was naughty. She's, a coal, this
1: she's year. a coal miner.
0: She's a coal miner. <laughs> And our friend Irene Briand is back. And apparently, Irene has changed jobs. I'm not sure what she's doing now, though, Matthew.
1: Oh, she runs the Chateau Briand. Oh. Yeah, it's a lovely chateau.
0: Where is that? Montmartre. Oh, in France? Yeah. Oh, wow. I want to go back to France. I get, every place you mention, I'm like, I want to go there. <laughs> we'll, we'll go, my friend. You just stick with me. Yeah, I'm... You know, wouldn't it be nice if I won the $65 million in the, in the uh, Lotto Max this week? Would you give me some? I would. Excellent. I totally would. Just enough to pay off my mortgage. Oh, I would do that. 100% I would do that.
1: Yeah, that would be fun. And then you and I, honestly, what we would do, mm-hmm. actually, if you gave me enough,
0: I'd just travel the world you. With said you said $3 million. $3 million. I'd just travel the world with you yeah and we just do shows everywhere i would totally do that i would not stop doing the show if i was a multi-millionaire i would still do this that would be fun yeah i think it would be really fun and i would still care as much as i do and you'd build a studio yeah i totally would i would build a studio and people who want to start a podcast will get their first one or two free it'd be fun yeah 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 it'd be a blast
1: Anyway, yeah,
0: she runs the Chateau Briand. Well, there you go. Yeah. Thank you, Irene. As usual, we really... Thanks, Irene. We love you. Yeah, we really appreciate your support of the show. You're a big-time supporter. And, uh, yeah, that's it. We'll be back, I guess. I
1: feel feel all the warm and fuzzies with all those messages and and donut money donors. And And our little
0: Christmas music playing in behind us and all that kind of stuff. It's very nice. It's warm and crackly. And uh Steve was making a little noise earlier and Matthew decided that he would record that we would record Steve, so let's have a listen to what Steve had to say. <laughs> <laughs> So Matthew cackling more than Steve actually talking. He's a slobbery, heavy breathing boy. Yeah. So that's why Steve's not on the mic every week. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is (laughs) dark (laughs) poutine. It would be a different show, I think. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So we won't be back again until January 3rd. So we're taking a week off, folks. A week off. Just a week I always get these messages. Is something wrong? Where did Dark
1: Poutine go? Well, we really taken off. We're going to be writing shows as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: So you won't hear a show, which on Boxing Day, which falls on the 27th. I mean, the real Boxing Day is the 26th, but the day people have off is the 27th of December. So you won't hear a show then, but we will be back with another show on January 3rd. And there will be another episode of supernatural circumstances that day too. So exactly much spookiness. I'm so grateful for everything, especially you folks for keeping me employed. (laughs) Holy crap. (laughs) I can't believe we've made it through another year. Thanks to all our patrons and donut money donors past and present for your generosity. It helps to keep the show going. You can become a patron of Dark Poutine at patreon.com slash dark poutine For a one-time donation, you can send us donut money via PayPal using our email address darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. If you don't already subscribe to the show, it would mean a lot to us if you did. You can easily find Dark Poutine on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. If you haven't gotten yours yet, my book, Murder, Madness, and Mayhem, is available to order via a link on the Dark Poutine website or Amazon, Indigo, Barnes & Noble, wherever you get books.
1: And the oldie, cornery, bookie
0: story. Exactly. If it's not there, ordery. <laughs> <laughs> Check out darkprotein.com for show notes and other cool stuff. Take the time to give Dark Prateen a like or a follow on Facebook and Instagram. Most importantly, thank you for listening and tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. Happy holidays, folks. Love each other. Ho, ho, ho. Many hugs from us. And we will see you again... On January 3rd.
1: New year, new me.
0: There you go. Until we return, don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Bye. Bye.
1: Her name is Elsbeth.
0: Elsbeth Tassioni.
1: You know her as the offbeat but brilliant defense attorney from The Good Wife and The Good Fight. You've been a very busy little bee. Buzz, buzz. Now she's in New York with the NYPD. This is very different. Better. But still using her unconventional ways to find the truth. You're trying to sniff me, Miss Tassioni? <laughs> Elsbeth, new series Thursdays on Global. Stream on Stat TV.